Thank you, Sue. Thank you, uh, Ben. Good morning, everyone. Uh, you ready to hop back on on board the Jonah roller coaster? Uh, good. So we're looking at chapter three today. Uh, so Jonah finally gets to Nineveh uh, today. So that's what we're looking at today. But just a quick recap of where we've got. Can we have the slides, Jenny? So just to remind you, uh, and just the next one. So it starts off, God asks Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach his word there. He goes in exactly the opposite direction towards Tarshish, gets on a boat. There's a big storm. Uh, the soldiers, uh, the soldiers, the sailors, the sailors throw him overboard. The storm dies down. The sailors find God for themselves. Jonah ends up in the belly of a fish. He's there for three, three days and three nights. That's his sort of epiphany when he's in literally the depth of despair. That's when he finds God right alongside him. This unfaithful prophet, man of God from chapter one, finds God um, in the belly of a fish uh, in chapter two that, that Matt brought out for us last week. <clears throat> and then chapter two finishes with the fish vomiting uh, Jonah out. And so we pick up the story with Jonah perhaps lying on a beach full of uh, fish vomit and seaweed around his head. And uh, what's going to happen next? He's going to go uh, to Nineveh. Uh, just the next slide, Jenny. So you remember that Matt told us that Jonah is almost told in a sort of graphic novel, comic story type of way. So everything is kind of a bit exaggerated for effect. And we, we see this in chapter three. Uh, it describes Nineveh as a city so big it takes three days to walk across. Now, Nineveh was a really big ancient city, but it probably didn't take three days to walk across but it's that sort of exaggeration for effect to show this is a big city and it's an important city and um, there's another bit in the story that we're about to look at uh, where the king of Nineveh instructs all his people to repent but not only the people he also instructs the cattle and the the flocks and the herds to repent he, he asks them to fast and, and for the animals to put on sackcloth uh, as a mark of their repentance. Again, it's this kind of comic story book way of writing to exaggerate the point. I don't know if the cattle really uh, wore sack sackcloth, um, but it shows how serious uh, the repentance was in the city of Nineveh. So it's a great uh, turnaround uh, that we are uh, looking at today. And Matt also very helpfully reminded us that there's a bit of Little Britain in Jonah as well. That sort of place where we, we kind of laugh at exaggerated characters, but then kind of see a little bit of ourselves in them as well. So that's all what we're going to be uh, looking at today as we go on to chapter three. Next slide, Jenny. So this is where uh, Jonah goes to Nineveh and Barb is just going to read chapter three. For us right now. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Great. Thanks, Bob. So just to summarise chapter three then, that uh, so Jonah goes to Nineveh, he preaches what appears to be a very, very short sermon, but the Ninevites respond, they believe God, even the king instructs repentance. The whole city, you know, the big bad city of uh, of Nineveh. You remember Matt was telling us about head of this brutal Assyrian empire. The whole of their capital city repents, turns away, and turns back to God. And God has compassion on them and responds to their actions of repentance. Okay, so let's just look at that in a little bit more detail if we could just have the next slide jenny so this is uh jonah's sermon uh 40 more days and nineveh will be overturned um i know what you're all thinking why doesn't sean preach eight words sermons <laughs> but um very it's quite a short message isn't it um but look what happens in response to that message thanks jenny the ninevites believed god when they heard that message now i don't know if you if you're like me but you're kind of wondering well there's not much in uh, jonah's sermon about god is there he doesn't actually mention god he doesn't mention repentance or what they should repent for or how they could repent there's a lot seems to be kind of missing in this sermon and yet there was a great turnaround in in Nineveh um, following on from this uh, sermon so there are different views um, really about what's kind of going on here you know how was that reaction and it's one of the great things about the book of Jonah that the author actually doesn't tell you what Jonah's motivations are for preaching this sermon. It's part of how we're meant to be kind of drawn into the 
to the sermon to think about that ourselves. But very broadly, there are kind of three kind of camps about what's kind of going on here. So let's just look at those uh, three options to begin with. So the next slide, Jenny. So the first, um, the first camp kind of say, well, look, we know Jonah's not perfect. He's fickle. He's gone up and down a bit. But at this point, he actually has gone to Nineveh. He's trying to do the right thing. Probably it's a bit of the comic book storytelling that actually he said more than eight words, but they only said eight words to kind of exaggerate the effect of, of his preaching. And, well, he was, he was kind of trying, and God used that uh, to make a great change in Nineveh. Now, the second option, um, now this is based on people who kind of look at Jonah's track record as a as a prophet, kind of going the opposite way, trying to disobey God on you know, various things. It's part of the comic book storytelling of Jonah that probably the most faithless person in the story is actually the man of God, the, the, the prophet. But they say, actually, Jonah realised he had to go to Nineveh. You know, he tried running away, ended up in the belly of a fish. So he, he realised he had to go, but his heart really wasn't in it. And they, they suggest that he actually hated the Ninevites. That, you know, as Matt said earlier, the Ninevites ha had done some terrible things in Israel. And maybe Jonah was still angry about all that. And, and this sort of camp suggests that he, he just went, did the preach, and then, you know, but his heart wasn't really in it. And next week, when we look at chapter four, we'll find out a bit more about Jonah's motivations for going to Nineveh in the first place and God's motivations and, and find out a bit more about that. But that's the sort of second camp. The third option is that, well, Jonah did what he did, but really God was in control all, all along. And God had been preparing the Ninevites for this change around, this, this turnaround. And <clears throat> there is some historical evidence to, to suggest that at the time that Jonah went to Nineveh, uh, there was an eclipse. And, you know, ancient peoples put a lot of store by that sort of, you know, they saw it as a sign of something uh, important or, or, you know, full of portent. Um, and also, it, it does appear that uh, the Ninevites were worshippers of a fish god. Now, Nineveh is quite a long way from the coast, so I think by this stage, Jonah had probably taken the seaweed out of his hair. But nevertheless, if you, if you worshipped a fish god and you heard about someone who just pitched up from direct from the belly of a fish, uh, maybe you would interpret that as a messenger from God and pay real attention to what they were, uh, what they were saying. So, to be honest... I'm not exactly sure which one of those um, it is. It might be a mix of, of, of a few of those or whatever. But again, just, you know, it's part of how we're drawn into the story of Jonah by thinking about what was his motivation. Whichever option it was, whatever did happen, what is fact is the Ninevites, it had a, you know, the, the preacher was really effective. The Ninevites turned around and properly uh, repented. And just to explore that a little bit more, 
I just want to explain a couple of words of Hebrew. I have to confess, slightly relieved that I don't think Paul and Janie are here. Because me trying to explain Hebrew in front of Paul and Janie would only go badly. Um, but uh, so there's two words I just wanted to bring out. So the first word is hapak. Now, th this, is, this is like the Hebrew trans uh, translation of overturned. So when Jonah is saying 40 days Nineveh and you will be overturned. So there's two kind of meanings of hapak in Hebrew. First of all is overthrown or destroyed. And the second is transformed. And you might remember in different parts of the Bible, 40 days is often quite significant. 40 days is often mentioned often as a time of testing, a time of trial, um, sometimes a time of transformation. But the theory, you know, some uh, Bible, biblical commentators suggest that maybe even if Jonah's heart wasn't in the right place when he preached this, uh, maybe he was thinking, I'm going to preach to them that they will be overturned, that they will be destroyed, because I don't really like the Ninevites. But maybe God's intention was that they would be transformed. And actually, in terms of in 40 days, they were transformed because they were repented and turned to uh, you know, a different way of life. Incidentally, I don't know in terms of the history, but maybe later they didn't follow through on their repentance or they repented of the repentance. Um, but later, their empire was conquered by the Babylonians. And so, actually, both versions of Hapak uh, were, were proved true uh, for, for Nineveh. The second uh, Hebrew word is, is, I think it's pronounced shuv, but it, it reads like shove. Um, and this is from verse 8, where the king is saying, give up our evil ways. That's that sh uh, shuv, and that's a kind of word of of repentance, kind of turning around. It's actually a physical action. It's it's the kind of the concept of walking in a particular direction and then turning around and going the other way, almost a bit like what Jonah did, going to Tarshish and then coming back the other way to Nineveh. So it's this sense of a real active repentance. It's not just thinking, yeah, I think that was wrong. I, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that again. This is taking action based on those, on those feelings of repentance. Shoving is moving in a different uh, direction. Okay, so... That's the kind of brief summary of, of, the, of the chapter. I've got some thoughts about encouragements and, and challenges that we can take from that right now. But in this church, we believe that God can speak through the worship, can speak through uh, words of other people, can speak through the prayers, speak through the communion, and he can also speak directly to, to you. So just before I share my thoughts on what this uh, passage is about. Maybe just take 30 seconds in choir just to pray to God about what God may be speaking to you directly about in terms of Jonah chapter 3.
Okay, so hold on to that as we go through. <clears throat> but I just wanted to share a few what I saw as encouragement and challenges coming from this passage. There's so much in it, but there's just a few that I uh, thought to uh, uh, bring out. So first of all, the first encouragement is that empires are overthrown. I know that sounds pretty obvious, really, and you know, if you read history, you kind of know that. But in our current times, where we live, you know, um, the power of all of worldly authorities can seem very strong, and we can, I know I do, sometimes lose hope that things can change. You know, uh, like many of us here, I I pray regularly for the persecuted church and around the world, and in many cases, uh, that's their government or their rulers that are instigating that persecution and you can think well when is this going to end well it does end all empires end god goes on but empires are overthrown they're either transformed like god was speaking about or they're destroyed like jonah was speaking about so it's just an encouragement for me at a macro level to keep on praying for justice in our world now, the second point, I suppose, is more of a personal uh, in encouragement. Now, whichever way you interpret Jonah's um, motivations for what he did through there, I think we could all agree he's not the perfect prophet, is he? He's a flawed human being. And actually, I find that uh, encouraging, the fact that God uses him when he's messed up, in fact, God uses him even as he's messing up. And so I find that encouraging that even if we feel we've messed up, we're not good enough, whatever, God can still use us. It's a wonderful thing about God that in terms of bringing his kingdom to, to earth, his primary method of doing that is through us guys is through us um it's not a kind of oh got no one else to use you know it's he wants to use us and so i think we should take encouragement however aware we are of our own flaws that god can do marvelous things through us when we walk in his paths thanks so this so the the, the sort of flip side of of that i suppose as well is that whilst god can work through us the the third point thanks jenny <laughs> um is to try and live in god's rhythms you know i think jonah had quite a tough gig uh going to nineveh uh myself um but he did make things hard for himself didn't he he did make things more difficult and if we can live in terms of God's rhythms and patterns for our life, that will, you know, that really is the the best way, and is so much better. And we thought a few weeks back about, you know, when Jesus says, "My my yoke is easy and my burden is light." That's that idea of walking in step with with Jesus. So much easier if we can walk in step. But just taking that point on a little bit further for the for the fourth point, um, as well as walking in step, one of the powerful things that the Ninevites did was they acted 
on their belief. You look at the, the final uh, passage of this chapter, God says he looked at what the Ninevites did and, and was brought to compassion with them. Now, God is passionate about justice. That's why Nineveh was on his radar to begin with, uh, because he was aware of their wickedness. That's why he sent Jonah there um, to begin with. God is not relaxed about uh, injustice or when things are, are bad. And can be something that's difficult for us to think about in terms of justice, I think, sometimes. Because if you're like me, you kind of want justice for others, but you're a bit scared of receiving justice uh, yourself. <laughs> you know, I want justice around the world, but I'm not sure I really want the spotlight on, on me and, and my behaviour. And yet, as we read in Isaiah 58... Um, if, you, if you look at that passage, God is saying to the people there, um, you know, how can I respond to your pleas when you're doing fasting like this? God is saying the sort of fasting that I really want is to see justice, to see the, the poor supported, the hungry fed. And so if we want to see those sorts of things around the world, there is an imperative upon ourselves to live in that way of justice uh, uh, ourselves. And that can be scary because we know we fall short of, of that regularly. But that's where we need to hold on to what we were remembering in, in communion. That's where God's love and God's justice and judgment come together on the cross. That's where he, he saves us by bringing his grace uh, through us. You know, and we don't tend to like to think too much about judgment, uh, uh, really. But if you're lucky enough to be a parent, you probably know that judgment and love are absolutely brought together. If you've got your little toddler running towards a busy road, you don't just say, oh, love them, bless them. Um, you try and correct them. You, you, know, you bring judgment to them, you try and instruct them in the best ways. And as we, for parents, want the very best for our, for our kids and we'll seek to instruct them and judge them in that way to give them the right standards of behaviour. So God is, God is not an apathetic parent. He loves us much more than we love our own kids. And so that judgment and love are intrinsically brought together in terms of God's care for us. <clears throat> but we don't need to fear about that because of what Jesus, you know, because of what we were thinking about earlier, what Jesus has done on the cross to bring justice and love together and save us and offer us um, grace to uh, grace for another day. Now, there's a lovely uh, kind of coda, I think, to chapter three. And that's where the king of Nineveh, as a sign of his repentance, takes off his royal robes. He comes off his throne and uh, uh, <clears throat> prostrates himself as he's asking the people to do it as well. 
And when people take off their royal robes, amazing things happen. <laughs> Great things happen. Now, I'm not sure if you're part of the House of Windsor, whether you've got an Auburn and a scepter at home, but if you haven't, uh, we still have those sort of royal robes ourselves, don't we, in terms of you know, viewing our own status, in terms of not you know, thinking we know best rather than uh, following God's ways. There's different ways we can kind of stay on our own throne, but when people come off the royal throne and accept God as their, as their Lord, special things happen. And um, uh, I thought it would be a good example uh, today on uh, Remembrance Day uh, just to give an example of when a king of, of of Britain came off, in my view, he came off his throne, gave away his royal robes, and amazing things happened. You'll you'll be aware in 1940 in the World War II, France had fallen. the The British army was kind of marooned on the coast and was being pushed back by the German army. They kind of retreated as far as the beaches of Dunkirk. And basically they were facing uh, annihilation and it could well have brought a wholly different outcome uh, to the world, to the, to the war. King George VI, who was our king at that time, he could have, I guess, doubled down on his royal robes, given some inspiring speeches, said, look, we're Britain, I'm royal, we're not going to let this happen, you know, made some orders, I don't, I don't know. But he took a very different approach. He accepted that he wasn't actually in control of, of all this, and he took off his royal robes and he declared a national day of prayer to pray uh, about those soldiers uh, marooned there. And millions prayed across across the country uh, that day. It said um, that Westminster Abbey, there was a special service and there was queues going all the way down Victoria Street for people trying to get in to, to pray uh, for the redemption of those uh, soldiers. And um, as you're probably aware, a miracle happened. There was, I think it's 335,000 soldiers rescued from the beaches around Dunkirk. You can see the picture on the top left. I had some of those soldiers there. And they were rescued through uh, different ships and boats, but several small boats, like you can see in the bottom picture there. And then the main picture is of those soldiers getting back to, to Britain, um, literally to be able to kind of fight another day. It was a time when King George VI gave up his royal robes and accepted the need for prayer. But, you know, even more amazing things, uh, there's even more amazing example of giving up your royal robes, and that, of course, is Jesus giving up the grandeur, the splendour of heaven, coming down to earth, humbling himself, as a human, so that he could live alongside us, so that he could show us how to live a life of justice. 
and of course so that he could go to the cross to die for us to uh, be resurrected come back to life to defeat death so that this offer of grace can be extended to us all okay so um if jonah the book of jonah finished at chapter three it would finish on quite a happy ending really wouldn't it jonah's gone to nineveh uh he's preached the Ninevites have repented god has had compassion on them all good um but the Jonah roller coaster has another twist and another turn to, to go. And so next week, please come and listen as Amy's going to explain the further twist in, in the towers where you find out more about Jonah's motivations and, and God's motivations. But just for now, um, just as we think about how to respond to what God's saying to us in, in, in Jonah 3, um, Maybe God has just been reminding you this morning that his grace is big enough for you. You might not feel a worthy servant, but God values and loves you and wants to use you. Or maybe you feel a little bit more challenged that there's something in your life that you need to shoot. Uh, from take another direction if you're really kind of to walk in, in in the path that God wants you to work maybe there's some trapping of royal robe uh, that needs to be taken off some element of your own autonomy or, or your own judgment rather than uh, responding to God's love and judgment maybe there's something like that for you Maybe you, you've never really kind of committed yourself to Jesus before, but today, through Jonah, you've seen the lengths God went to to save the big, bad uh, city of Nineveh. And more than that, the lengths that God has gone through Jesus on the cross to uh, open up pathways of grace for us. And maybe you, yeah, maybe you just want to respond to that in, in the first one because God's love is calling out to you and you just want to respond to that. Or maybe it's something I haven't mentioned, but that God spoke to you in that pause that we had in the meantime. Either way, if God, if you feel like God is prompting you or calling you today, Please respond to him. It's a marvellous, amazing thing that God is speaking to us in all different ways at, di at different times. Please, you know, if, if, if you feel God is speaking to you in that way, please uh, respond and respond to him. As we go into a time of worship, there'll be a time to kind of respond through that as well. If you want to pray with someone, there will be people uh, at the back or maybe you just want to pray to the person you know pray with the person next to you but um please tell us if if you know if you know the sort of stories of how god is is working in your life but um yeah just going to ask the band to come up now
just as we respond individually.